You know, there's so many games where yeah. you're just like, whatever happened to like that game IP? You yeah. know, and it's just gone. Uh, like Clay Fighter, man. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Who owns Clay Fighter? No one knows. <laughs> I think you could buy that one for like $14 and like, like a box of chicken nuggets. Um, but uh, anyway. All right, welcome to Rated NAD Podcast for the website nerdappropriate.com. This is episode number 299. Wow, and I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Ash. 299. uh, I know, right? Can't believe it. It's a lot. It's too many. It is. (laughs) It's too many. Some would say 298 too many. Maybe 297. Like like you do the first one and everybody's like, all right, let them get it out of their system. Yeah, I think we peaked somewhere in the 50s. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And it's been kind of up and down since then, but yeah, that's, that's yeah what they say. you were about to say Scott is not here. Scott is not here. He's uh, he is. He's uh, getting his chest waxed, I think today. That's what I heard. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a very vain gentleman, and yeah. he does not like chest hair. So he likes to be silky smooth. He um, does. Yeah, it's because he likes to go frequently on slip and slides, and he he's a pretty hairy dude. You know, so you know, you you got to be slick. You guys have kids, so maybe you're going to get to enjoy this again. But I was just saying the other day, like, that if that's like an adult, that's a thing that adults don't do anymore. Slip and slide. I'm going to tell you a quick little anecdote here. Um, for my 30th birthday, I had the most epic slip and slide ever. It was down oh, a, wait. a hill slide. Yeah. And it was just, it was uh, the most fun I think I've ever had as an adult. Uh, was, was I there? I think I was there. You may have been. It was, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of folks were there, but it was up yeah. in North Carolina sliding down hills. Oh no, I wasn't there then. No, it was, it was good times, but, um, yeah, I agree. I think the slip and slide needs to come back. Well, I mean, it's still there. Like it, it still exists, right? And like kids do it and stuff, but I feel like it's just, it's an activity unlike like trampolines or something where there's like adult versions. Right. Right. They just, it just goes away. It's what, weird. What, it's a what weird I've thing. noticed as I get older is that hurling yourself onto the yeah, ground. Yeah, hurts. <laughs> It hurts like a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm aware. I'm aware of why we get rid of it. I'm just saying it, it, we did get rid of it, you know? Yeah, like watch, watching my, my toddler like throw himself on the ground. I'm like, if I were to do that, I would be yeah. in a coma. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the same reason that like, you know, not that all adults quit skateboarding, but at some point you, you probably stopped. And yeah. it's because you were like, oh, I don't want a broken arm. <laughs> like, that's not a thing I'm looking forward to. I went, uh, I still have my first skateboard from when I was a little kid. We, we found it the other day and um, yeah. I went out on it. <laughs> man, oh man. Was it just four rocks tied to a plank of wood? Basically, yeah. It was like a, Flint, <laughs> a Flintstone skateboard. But I survived, but I was terrified that if I fell, I'd like break a hip and then it'd all be over. Yeah, you know? it'd be over. Um, it's all done. So on this week's show, we're going to be actually reviewing Black Panther. Uh, we're going to do a spoiler full review, so hang on for that. I'm going to talk about Everything Sucks on Netflix. Uh, Matt is going to talk about Crossing Souls, which I had a chance to play at last year's PAX East. Yeah. And I'm going to talk a little bit about... Um, some music by Big Giant Circles for the Octageddon soundtrack. And we're going to do a little bit of news about Joss Whedon walking away from Batgirl, the future of Star Control, and uh, Matthew Rosenberg, friend of the podcast, signing on full-time with Marvel. News. All right, so the first piece of news this week is a little bit of news that just popped up, I want to say a a couple days ago, about Joss Whedon walking away from Batgirl. And the short version is the the reason he said is that he, you know, he couldn't come up with a good story, which is a, a big bummer for a variety of reasons. But I think I, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that there's definite problems with the um, DC cinematic universe. Um, yeah. uh, I think the problem is a lot of creators don't like like a lot of creators don't stick around. They don't want to be a part of it. We've had a lot of people walk away from different directorial duties in the DC cinematic universe. And I'm kind of curious where it's going. Um, you know, the, Joss Whedon, love him or hate him. You know, the guy, the guy can write. And um, I would, I, I would have liked to have seen what he did with Batgirl, but I don't 
you know, from what he's saying in, in the article I read, he didn't really have a Batgirl story to tell. So kind of a so bummer. There's, there's a few interesting side branches of news from this. The first is that there's a giant movement of uh, female writers and female comic book writers going like, cool, I'll do this. Like DC, call me. Well, I'll write a Batgirl story. And one of them is Gail Simone, who's who's a kind of prolific comic book writer right now. Um, and she was like, that's weird because I have the perfect Batgirl story, kind of like making fun of it. <laughs> and like, it could be interesting. Maybe it gets picked up by, uh, you know, a more diverse voice. We're going to talk about that later. The fact that seemingly, you know, I don't want to blow everyone's mind, but when you give creators um, of the same kind of background the story for that character that they're trying to write, it appears to work pretty well. A yeah, la absolutely. Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, which was by my. Uh, for my dollar, the best DC movie that's come out, um, Black Panther. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. You know, these are directed by and and all of that kind of, you know, Wonder Woman directed by a woman, Black Panther directed by uh, a a black gentleman. Like it's it's kind of, I don't know. It, it's interesting to see no, it that makes like, sense. with I Joss mean, Whedon walking away, maybe this opens a hole up for somebody that can come in and give it a voice that's unique to that character you know yeah i mean directing is all about perspective and those are unique and fresh perspectives and giving creators that didn't necessarily have that sort of financial backing to make those big stories like giving them the opportunity to do it is a good thing but i think my you know issue and problem with this this batgirl story is like I would love, absolutely love a bat. She's one of my favorite DC characters, hands down. I love, sure. I love Barbara Gordon. But it's how do you slide her into this universe um, that is at, at this point kind of a mess? Like I don't really necessarily think these standalone DC movies are going to um, really create a giant cohesive universe like they're trying to do. And like I don't think having yeah. this like a Joker standalone movie is is going to really right. help unify things. Like who is that yeah. who is that for in today's day and age? We're like for the director who made Suicide Squad and wanted to do a Joker movie in the beginning. Um yeah. Yeah, I, I they've got a lot of problems and I think the uh Mark Miller just said Mark Miller, right? Yeah, that's how you yeah. pronounce it. Um, yeah. another comic book writer who has done a lot of, of work for Marvel, DC, and uh, individual stuff like Kick-Ass is Mark Miller. Um, he said that he thinks the problem is that uh, Marvel writes stories about humans first that become super, and DC writes stories about super people, like, you know, that maybe have a human side, but generally are it's about their, these kind of big, we've talked about it before, you know, Superman is is a near unstoppable character <laughs> with and his human portion of him, the Clark Kent portion or the, you know, earthling portion is kind of the small sub B plot to him being Superman and dealing with being Superman kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, and, and what he was saying was just that it's, it's hard to create universes and write stories around these characters for movies because it's just, it's too big. Like it just doesn't, there's no power really to fight them. Like it's just, it's just kind of a giant cosmic crazy thing. Now, that being said, Marvel's starting to ease into that world and that kind of cosmic world, and uh, they seem to be doing it pretty well. So, but I also think that like my take on it is more this: is that we look at DC and we go, "Oh, why isn't DC doing you know X, Y, and Z? Why do the movies suck or whatever's going on around it?" And then like we say like, "Cause look at Marvel," and I think what we should be saying is like, "Marvel's the outlier." Like Marvel. The fact that Marvel pulled off all of this starting with Iron Man is crazy. It's just insane. Like, no yeah. other movie studios ever come close to doing it. Movies generally used to fall apart at the trilogy part. You know, like, you would hit mm-hmm. the third movie, it would just, it would crumble and be terrible. Yeah. yeah and it's on like 18 now. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, it, this is just not logical. And I think they struck, um, they struck on the right notion very early on with John Favreau, Favreau and Iron Man which was what if we give unique directors these set pieces that they otherwise wouldn't usually get? Right. What if we try out, you know, what if we give Ryan Coogler back black Panther? What if we, you know, give, uh, James, uh, gun, uh, uh, guardians, you know, like what if, what if we do these like kind of individual unique voices and see what happens mm-hmm. with the guidance of this kind of outward universe? What if we give Joss Whedon, you know, the Avengers and like, 
I think that's what did it. it. What they did was they 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 took something unique and gave room, but guidance, and then also have these very kind of unique and relatable characters. It, it's just you know, and then they didn't rush it either. Like no one in two thousand and whatever six when Iron Man came out, like that wasn't a thought. No one, I think it was rumored that they were going to do a few movies, but no one thought they were going to like that it was going to be this, you know, right, there, right. There, there's no way they fell into Iron Man being as good and as big as it was. I think they knew they thought they had something, but I don't think they knew they had, you know, a multi multi-billion dollar, you know, yeah, Disney's they, they, they didn't deal. know that, that anyone was going to want to watch it. I mean, like, right. you know, Iron Man was a, a C tier character at the time, right. um, which is, you know, the only reason why Marvel still had the rights for the character. But, but anyway, it, yeah, we could go on about this indefinitely. Did you hear, but, uh, sorry, there's another piece of news really quick. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> did you hear uh, that Sony almost owned the entire Marvel universe? Did you read this? Uh, no, I did not. So way, 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 way back when Sony bought Spider-Man, uh, the guy initiating the deal with, um, I guess it was with like Pearlman at the time, the, he just bought Marvel. So they were, and Marvel was going out of business. So they were trying to license characters to get some money to, to not crumble, essentially. Because uh, everybody doesn't remember that. But Marvel at one point almost went away in like 99 or 2000, right around there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Sony comes to deal, or I guess earlier in 99, but Sony comes to deal and wants Spider-Man. They want to make a Spider-Man movie. And uh, Marvel goes, okay, yeah, you know, we're going to sell you Spider rights to Spider-Man and his villains and I think that what else they get? Fantastic Four, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Sony was like, okay, cool. And then the guy talking to Marvel said, or Marvel was like, you know, for $25 million instead of whatever they were going to get, which is like $10 million, let's say. You know, for twenty five million, we'll just give you rights to the the movie rights to all of Marvel's oh. universe. Oh, and and Sony went. The guy was like, "Whoa, that's okay." So he goes back to the head of the studio and goes, "Hey, uh, for twenty five million, we can just have the rights to everything. Like we can do all of the Marvel movies." And the head of Sony was like, "We don't want the rights to everything. Just go do the deal for Spider Man, and let's get done with this." <laughs> so he goes back and says, "Sorry, we're just going to do Spider Man." Gives him like you know whatever smaller <laughs> amount of money it is for Spider Man. Uh, goes into Sony's credit, makes a bazillion dollars with the first three Spider Man movies, but also now looking at it, you're like, "Holy cow, that guy yeah. turned down billions of dollars." That's oh, a good thing that he did, though, or else we would yeah, have gotten like ridiculous, like you know. 90 style yeah yeah really terrible so anyways i just thought that was super interesting we can we can move on yeah i mean uh just one quick note on this batgirl story um you know i hope the movie does get made i hope they find somebody um a female director would be awesome but i i would just like to see what i'd really like to see is the dc universe kind of come on track i don't think that you know there's all these plans for flashpoint and and like you know it's like they're doing such a great job with the tv shows just like who gives a shit about the movies? You know, you I mean, and honestly, cry. yeah, like I think that's kind of fine, right? The only problem is they can't; they're stuck with the TV shows where they can't bring in, they can't bring in Superman and, uh, you know, Green Lantern or right, right. They're gonna have problems doing that. Although they pulled it off of the Flash, I, I think that was by chance. Well, they actually, did, they did actually um, last season of Supergirl. They did bring in Superman which was crazy. I didn't think they'd ever do mm-hmm. it, but um, he's, so he's part of that TV continuity now too. So I, mean, I guess yeah, the, the real problem yeah. is they have their two different, two different timelines. Universes. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's jump Any. on over to uh, star control, which as a kid and I'm dating myself here, but this was a PC game in the nineties star yep. control. Uh, I've talked about it a lot on the show, but I kind of truly feel that it's the precursor to the mass effect franchise. A lot of the ideas in mass effect borrow heavily from star control. It's about, you know, colonizing a universe and stopping this, you know, deadly alien race from taking over and uniting mm-hmm. alien races. It's super cool. It had uh, branching dialogue. It was way ahead of its time. And, uh, after star control three, at least to my knowledge, um, things kind of went south for the studio that was making it and they stopped making star control games altogether. Well, a few years ago, the rights for the star control were actually purchased by a company named Stardock and Stardock was going to both produce, uh, develop and publish rather a new star control game with a license. Mm-hmm. Cause they bought it for, I think like between 300 and $400,000. So it wasn't a ton of money, but they bought, you know, the, the IP. Yeah. Well, at the same time, 
the original creators of Star Control started developing their own Star Control game. Uh, and so both of these are happening uh, at the same time. And there's now this big lawsuit that's going, I guess, going to actually go to court um, for control over the IP because there's all this, you know, lawyery fine print that I won't get into. But what it really says is that when this lawsuit is over, there's only going to be one of these, either Starduck or the original uh, original creators that are actually going to be able to move forward with a project. So it's um it's kind of crazy. It's it's weird when you have these old IPs that a lot of people still love, but you don't really know like if they're in good hands. You know, there's so many games where yeah. you're just like, whatever happened to like that game IP? You yeah, know, and it's just gone. Uh, like Clay Fighter, man. Come on, yeah. <laughs> who owns Clay Fighter? No one knows. <laughs> I think you could buy that one for like fourteen dollars and like <laughs> yeah. like a box of chicken nuggets. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so if you're interested in looking up Star Control, there's all sorts of like um, different versions of it you can download on PC for free now. I definitely say check it out. It's a fantastic game still. Um, but we'll be following this one and I just kind of want to see where it goes. I'm, I'll be happy with any version, but I would love to see it back in the hands of the original creators, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. You should, um, definitely one of these days when you're, you know, not backlogged with a hundred games like myself, check, check out right. the old one if you haven't checked it out. Yeah. It kind of still holds up. It's fun. Have you, well, you did play it, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, tell, tell so- me about this one. Last piece of news, a friend of the podcast and, and friend of mine and Scott's for, for a while uh, is a guy named Matthew Rosenberg. We've talked about his books before. Um, he started writing comics, I think, right around when we started the podcast, feasibly, now that I think back on it. But anyways, sounds, he started writing right, yeah. comics back then, and uh, before that, he was running a record label, which is how Scott and I knew him through music. Um, he wrote Recently, he wrote a book called Four Kids Walk Into a Bank, which uh, absolutely exploded um, for a small print uh, called Black Mask Studios, and um, kind of got a lot of heat off that. Like uh, it did very, very, very well. Sold out almost all the time wherever it was going. He also did one that we talked about on the podcast called uh, We Can Never Go Home, which is a really great series he did for Black Mask as well. And then uh, recently he started doing small kind of one-offs for Marvel. He did a run for um, Quake. And he did a run for Phoenix, I think, and a couple other books. And then I think a few months ago, he announced that Marvel is signing him full time. So he'll be writing a bunch of new books. Um, and I think he just got signed on to do Multiple Man. He's oh, going to do so a good. series on Multiple Man. So that could be really, really cool. Um, he's doing really great. I, everybody should go check it out. Matthew Rosenberg. I just I, th- I wanted to bring it up because it was somebody we talked about a long time ago. And I think... Sometimes it's easy to think that, you know, you can't, like, I don't know if change careers or whatever. We talk about this kind of stuff all the time. But Matt was doing other stuff entirely. He was living in New York running a record label, and he was working. I don't remember where he was working, too, but he had, like, a day job as well. And uh, just really worked his ass off to, to break into the comic book industry. And now he's signed to Marvel doing that. And then he just announced also... A brand new book he's going to do for Image Comics called What's the Furthest Place from Here? Uh, it's going to be an indie indie series he does on Image Comics. So just one of those guys that I thought we'd bring back up, kind of check back in on and say, hey, you know, this is a friend that we talked about forever ago just who didn't give up and just kept chasing that dream. Yeah, that's, and now he's, that's honestly now he's doing my, it. You my know? favorite part about doing this show is just seeing kind of what happens to friends of the show and um, – you know, guests and, and such, because it, you know, seven years is a long time. We've been doing it for seven yeah. years, about to do 300 episodes and our paths have crossed with many, many creative people. And a lot of them are doing really well. And and Matt's completely right. It's just about trying really hard and being willing to fail and, you know, kind of putting yourself out there and you can yeah. switch careers and do different stuff. All of us on the show have done it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's something that's possible. Yeah. And, and of that note of failure, you know, I mean, for talking about those two books that blew up with Black Mask before he started doing Marvel stuff, he also did like a string of other one-off books from other publishers and things. And some of them didn't do anything at all. Some of them were tiny. Some of them did okay, but he wasn't allowed to put his name on it. Like he just kind of hustled until he got to where he wanted to be. So anyways, good on Matt Rosenberg. Look him up for Marvel books. He's got a whole slew of, of Marvel books out like right now that you can read. He's got one for Tales of Suspense. I think he's doing um, and then uh, look out for his new book on image and look out for him maybe doing multiple man because that, that like literally broke I think yesterday or the day before that awesome be doing. very cool so good on you Matt cool 
Hey, Ash. Hey, Matt. Did you hear that Black Panther is outselling basically every movie other than Star Wars ever? This is pretty insane. Yeah, I, I did hear this. Um, I actually listened to Marvel Movie News today, and they were talking about some of the box office uh, stats on the movie, and I knew it was doing well, but I was like blown away to hear how well it was doing. It is now officially the biggest selling Marvel movie of all time. That's good on it, man. Good yeah. on it. And like, yeah. I, you know, I guess let's start. This is a hard review to do because there's there's a lot to talk about here. Um, but let's just talk about the movie itself before we get into like a lot of the you know social and kind of political sure. things that are, are sort of at, at this movie's core. Because you know what everybody wants to hear right now. Is social, Two white guys yeah. talk about <laughs> yeah. third Ex- social importance. Exactly. So we're going to kind of do like a... <laughs> We're going to do a, yeah, two, two old white guys talking about Black Panther. <laughs> this is just what everyone's going to tune in hey, for. Hey, I wrote the the article on white privilege, man. I can do this. You did. That's right. Many, All right. Anyways. Read it. Um, so uh, things I loved about the movie. Um, I loved uh, absolutely everything about the supporting cast. Um, mm-hmm. I loved the Dormelage. I loved uh, Shiri a whole lot. Mm-hmm. I loved the way that Wakanda looked. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the, and this is going to get somewhat political, but I loved the idea of, um, what a highly advanced African nation would look like without like colonialism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was teaching, that was one of the things that I really touched upon was, uh, you know, students would always ask like, you know, what were some of the reasons why slavery happened and da, 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 da. And one of the things we always talked about was the technology gap. Like by the time yeah. that explorers came to that region of the world, they were much more technologically advanced for a variety of reasons than a lot of the people in Africa that they were encountering. And so that gave them this technological advantage, which allowed them to, um, you know, enslave people, which is an absolutely awful thing, but what would happen if that was not the case? And so you get Wakanda, uh, which was this, uh, beautiful, awesome, amazing looking civilization, which I just thought was really amazing to, uh, to check out. Um, uh, I, I loved, like I said, all the tech I thought was fantastic. Um, in terms of villains, uh, Killmonger, I think he's probably maybe in my top three of, uh, of Marvel villains right now. Uh, number one on my list is still Vulture. Michael Keaton's Vulture is like, I just think he's brilliant. So he's number one on my list. But um, yeah, he's he's definitely, if not top three, definitely top five. So, so good stuff. And that's just yeah. like literally just rattling off the top of my head. What about, what about you? Uh, I agree with all those points, except I would actually put, I think Killmonger might be my favorite villain, period, in a Marvel movie so far. Nice. So, uh, and we'll talk about why later, but, um, uh, I thought the acting was all really great. I thought the, yeah, all the, the, all of the Wakanda stuff, but also just like the kind of stark difference that they drew between, you know, Northern California and Wakanda. And like, you know, like, I mean, I know it's a, it's a very apparent thing, but they, it seemed very attention intentional on the part of how they would edit between the two places and when people were jumping back and forth and all that kind of stuff. Um, I thought that, uh, I thought the supporting cast was really great. His sister is, was by far one of the best supporting actors we've had, I think in a, in a Marvel movie, she was hilarious and, and fun and had, had some of the best bits. I thought that the uh, actual movie itself, while, um, very politically driven and very, uh honest with its narrative also like kind of a bond movie at certain points which i thought was really amazing and fun and like a a type of movie that we haven't had yet in the marvel universe you know um i thought that it not being it being embedded in the mcu but not being beholden to it made it feel like iron man one which was I think really fun and awesome and probably intentional um, in a lot of ways. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Uh, so I, yeah, I think I I walked out of this movie very much enjoying it. It's easily in my top three Marvel movies. Uh, I but I liked it a lot. There, I mean, there we'll talk about. I think we both talked about a drawback that exists. I read an article about it recently. That Is it the Gizmodo one. Yeah, I yeah. actually, I read that this morning too. I was going to bring it up, um, and it makes a lot of sense. So, but um, but I, I want to make sure we close out any 
opening thoughts before we get into any specifics so yeah i mean i guess we can dive in we don't have any by the way for those want to know how the sauce is made like matt and i literally have no notes right now there so we're pulling from memory so if we fuck anything up it's because we're just kind of like pulling all this from memory but it's really funny um, because i took notes about the last jedi and like to talk about it because we're going to do like a long episode on last jedi that we've never done and and uh I took all these notes to keep my thoughts organized and I was like, Oh, I should do this for all the movies. that we do." Yeah. Like, this makes a lot of sense. I've got them all right here in front of me, like fresh in my brain. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, well, the smart things to say, but yeah. yeah. Um, you know, in terms of the general plot, like uh, I'll just be like devil's advocate nitpicky. I thought the beginning of the, the film was a little slow, but it was, it was necessary. It was all kind of, setting up uh, the world of Black Panther and, and yeah. kind of showing you Wakanda. But in terms of like the overall narrative, it's like, well, you know, like, you know, he becomes the King. Like you, like a lot of that stuff was kind of apparent, but I think it was for a broader audience, you know, um, right. Him going through the challenge and all of that. Uh, so I thought that was, you know, it was a little, the pacing was a little weird in the beginning, but um, once they got to Korea, um, uh-huh. that was my favorite sequence of the movie. I think by far, I think it was like shot the best. Uh, yeah. I think all the visuals were gorgeous. I think the fight scene in like the casino was the best. Um, yeah. I, I absolutely love that. I loved the, uh, Shiri driving the virtual car. Uh, yeah. I love that tech. I was like, this is just awesome. Like this that's, needs that's to- kind of the bondiness of it, you know, and that whole setup before they walk out to Korea and she's like, show she's like the cue of the scene, like showing him all these like gadgets and, his new suit and like how this will work and how this will work. And I was like, Oh, it's such, it's like fun and like different, you know, from anything I think we've gotten in the past. Yeah, And her character just has so much screen presence is so much energy. Yeah. Um, she did such a good job being like a 16 year old, super intelligent, younger sister, you know, and yeah. you could just tell yeah. within the first rea- first interaction with her and her brother that she has like undying respect for him, but she still gives him shit constantly. Yeah. Um, and I think that was, that was just brilliant. So very well acted and, and, uh, yeah. And, um, there are a couple like really like twists in the movie since we are going full spoiler that I was not expecting. Like I was not expecting, uh, claw to, to die. Um, uh, because I just, for some reason I kind of, I figured that they were going to make him part of a bigger picture down the road. Cause right. they had, they had him in age of Ultron. They've been kind of like hinting that, you know, he's going to be part of this, you know, sort of, you know, maybe a something later down the road in the MCU, but man, Killmonger just wasting him, just like no, nobody's business. Um, yeah. Kind of, I guess gives a little gravitas to that character as well. Yeah. Uh, I don't really love Andy Serkis or his claw. So I was kind of okay with it because he's been in like four movies now. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like he was fun in the, what was it? The first Captain America is where he showed up or the second. Um, I don't remember. I I know he fights him on the boat or whatever. Uh, He, it was like fun at first. And then it was like uh, this one, especially he had so much close up on him. He just plays it very cartoony. And those, those, like I, this is always my complaint in every superhero, everything, which is like when I feel like somebody's playing it like a comic book movie, I'm right, just right, like, right. I just don't, I tune out so fast that it's like not even funny. I'm like, all right, cool guy. Let's move on. I don't care about this, you know? So, uh, he's, but he's what always a contrast kind of to, me, to but, Killmonger, right? Like you have yeah. that cartoony sort of like maniacally crazy Correct. character yeah. like claw. And then you have Killmonger who's, um, you know, smart calculating, uh, it's just yeah. very, uh, well, let's, let's actually jump and I w- talk about Killmonger. Well, I was going to say, I was surprised that, that Killmonger was killed Claw. Cause I, I agree with you. I actually thought Claw was going to become this kind of like behind the scenes villain. But I've also thought that about like every Marvel sets up a lot of their villains in that way where they're like, Ooh, you know, uh, Baron, uh, uh, what was his name in civil war? He just, he was oh, just there. Um, Zemo. They, Zemo. Zemo. Yeah. They're like, oh, Zemo. And you're like, oh, Zemo's going to be the threat. And they're like, no, he's dead. Okay. So like, it's just like they just they murder people very quickly without – Vulture is the only one who's who survived, right, of all that? Yeah, the- pretty much. I was actually talking to my wife about this the other day because like – and I talked about this on an episode with um, 
when Marquia McCarty was on the episode, I kind of pitched this idea for a Thunderbolts movie, like bringing back a lot yeah. of the villains to make a super team and how cool it would be. And then I was thinking like, most of them are dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Vulture's alive. I think Loki is going to be alive at least for 10 yeah. minutes. Loki, oh, it's true. Loki survived. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, um, most so, of them die. So, yes. I mean, I guess we will, we will jump into the spoileriness of this. So if you haven't watched Black Panther yet, if you somehow are not part of that, which includes Scott, by the way, which is funny. But if you're somehow not part of the 200 and whatever, at this point, probably, you know, 300 plus million dollars that this movie has made, uh, pause it. Either jump forward. We're going to talk about a bunch of other fun stuff. Uh, I would, I'd be willing to bet about 15 minutes from now, but it's your, your call to, to skip ahead. We'll try to put it in the show notes where the uh, spoiler ends. So, spoiler sound. Um. So yeah, uh, Killmonger, I was mildly disappointed. I mean, I wasn't disappointed in, in how it ended. I was disappointed in that that they did off Killmonger because I did enjoy him as a villain. Um, but I enjoyed him as a villain. for. I mean, this has been written, I feel like, a hundred times, but his, his plot line, his point of being a character who had been outcast from Wakanda and seeing the world in a different way than the Wakandans see it. Um, and then ultimately changing Wakanda and, and T'Challa like, yeah, because I don't really would have made that decision at the end of the film without encountering Killmonger, you know? And it just, it made, that's the thing that makes me like Killmonger so much is that he's, he's an effective villain, like an effective villain, like, doesn't just contrast the hero it literally ch- changes the world do you know what i mean like it cha- like joker f's with batman so much in dark knight that it changes batman's perspective on what he's doing and what's going on in the city do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. he he's he's the one who affects batman so which was what made the third one so fucking stupid like it's just like good villains change heroes and they change the world that the hero's operating in you know yeah it makes and like, sense yeah and that's what makes killmonger so good i don't know that any other villain unless you've got other than maybe vulture who who you can view as taking away peter parker's childhood you know like literally and figuratively yeah there is that scene where I know the exact scene you're talking about where peter is trapped under the rubble and peter yeah. realizes that no one's going to help him but him right um, so yeah, I think you're right. Vulture so, absolutely does that. Yeah, Vulture does it, and then I. But not. I don't think Loki does. You know, just by nature of of him being like a trickster and Thor expecting it. I don't think Loki's really that kind of villain. He's a good villain and he's funny, but he's not like he's not that kind of like world altering villain. And I just feel like Killmonger was there. You know, especially since it was such a focused movie on Wakanda, on this notion of of uh, a nation that's mega wealthy and and technologically advanced having sort of turned its back on the rest of the world you know like and hidden away by and that's and like that's where it gets this is where we're getting into the poli sci type stuff but like it that's like that notion of of being able to turn their backs sort of and and move away and like that's it's like such a it's such a weird dichotomy because what it's doing is that's how they protect themselves that's how they have what they have so they know they have to do that in order to like be the wakanda that we see mm-hmm. but then it's also like well are they denying you know other people of the same wealth and, and ability like it, like what could have happened you know that, and that's what killmonger was kind of preaching is like you don't even we could be in a whole other world at this point you know so let's take it back kind of thing and it's like two two opposite perspectives that are way too far and there's no central view which is where t'challa ends up getting pushed but uh, uh, that was no, a, that no, was a ranty point on no, it no 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 I, I completely agree with you 100 percent. and i think you know he michael b jordan does a great job making that character very likable and charismatic and i think a lot of people a lot of people walked away from black panther kind of looking at the world in a different way and kind yeah. of challenging their own perspectives on way why things are the way they are 
Um, you know, he has a lot of really, really well-written lines and, um, of course delivers them very, very well, but he's a very powerful character. And, um, I, I don't think for a second that he's dead. I think he's very well liked. He also has purple super juice in his body. That's true. Yeah. And and he's in, you know, land of super technology. And I don't think T'Challa wanted him to die. Um, even though he stuck him. (laughs) Well, but, but that's what Killmonger wanted. You know, I mean, he says, end it like don't do this like i don't you know i don't want to go out and what the the line's beautiful and i'm gonna absolutely massacre it but he basically says the that he doesn't want to go out in chains like he wants to right. go out in his own way yeah be free absolutely yeah um so yeah i, I thought you know the also playing devil's advocate and i'm probably going to get some some venom for this but there's some like problems i think in the last act too with just um some of the cg and stuff and kind of how uh, hectic it is. Um, yeah. And I, no, I, I agree with that. Like, I think that's true. I think the CG is rough at points yeah. and that's what the Gizmodo article was about that. If you're talking about the same one, right? Yeah, It is. And it yeah. was just about how now with Marvel films, having so many visual effects shots, they have to outsource it a lot. And, you know, like most people that watch Marvel movies, I sat through the credits and there were like, I don't even know how many. Oh yeah. VFX. It was insane. It was just like hundreds and hundreds of VFX yeah. guys worked on the movie and most of it is awesome. Some of it was just like, I'm, I'm watching CG, which is a bummer because right. we're at the point where you can make people look a hundred percent like people, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was just sort of a, some of it was just kind of questionable, which is, is a bit of a bummer. Um, but other than that, like I really like the it did, it did have that problem. Sorry. No. I keep cutting you off. No, 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 no. Go ahead. I was going to say it did have that problem. The CG where it was like, when you think about it and then you realize what you're saying, you're like, Oh yeah. But like it had that problem where you're watching like the two black Panthers fight. Right. And, um, and that does not look great. <laughs> like it looks, it looks bad. It's, it's like, it's just, you can see it. It, it looks like, you know, probably Tobey Maguire era Spider-Man fight scenes. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. it's a little bendy and weird in ways that it shouldn't be. Yeah, like the mocap wasn't, like, actual yeah. motion of people. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you're looking at that and you're going, like, oh, you know, man, those guys don't look good. But at the same time, they're fighting in front, like, there's, like, a, like, a, like, a, some kind of, like, field of energy and a train moving through it and they're inside of a mountain with all this stuff and like i wasn't questioning a lot of that cg like that looked i was like my brain was like oh man those two guys fighting on that energy platform while a train goes by look fake (laughs) (laughs) and you start to think about it you're like oh well all the cg wasn't bad there's just moments of it that that catch you because like it, it might be that they're in such a good CG world that all of a sudden you're seeing two kind of bendy guys moving around it and you're like ah that doesn't look right yeah, yeah. and and uh, yeah but I always laugh when I because I've done it before when you're like you know this doesn't look good and then you realize you're like well they're not on a pirate ship either like, <laughs> like yeah like ninety nine point nine of it looks so good you can't even tell that you you know <laughs> what you're watching and then there's yeah, that like yeah. you know point one percent that'll that'll screw you up. But, but yeah, man, like uh, the thing I was going to say earlier is that, you know, the music is great. There was a, uh, I don't know. I think it was during the, the casino scene in Korea mm-hmm. where it was like, uh, I got, I got cathartic like two or three times in the movie. And I love when that happens in films and you get the goosebumps and everything, but there was a point where the music kicks in, um, during the fight scene. And, um, and, uh, it was just so so well paced and so well done that I just I loved the soundtrack too. So yeah, it's one of those Marvel films where you're like, it, okay, I want to own this. Yeah, they did a good job. I thought of um, you gotta get both soundtracks if you want it all because uh, they actually did mix in a bunch of the Kendrick stuff. Um, they did a really good job. the The villain like Killmonger and T'Challa both had um, like music. Like whenever Killmonger entered a scene, it was like hip hop style 808 drums and stuff. Like it had loved it. It had like it had like you know 90s and 2000s era rap music essentially that would intro him. And it wasn't full songs, but it was just this like score of like more hip hop sounding music. And then T'Challa would enter a scene, and it was more like traditional African drums in the background. And then like when the Dora Milaje would enter, it was it was like um. It was the oh, what's that sound? There's a sound that they that they were using. I can't. There's a word for it. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But everybody had their like 
thing and it was like it felt like old john williams star wars you know but like in a modern age where you're like oh everybody's got like it's like mute like you knew when darth vader was coming because you could hear his music kind of coming in in the background mm-hmm. and like so you knew killmonger was showing up because you'd start hearing these like hip-hop 808s kind of like coming in through the music while while stuff's going on in scene it was really cool i, I thought that was a, a good job of of utilizing music and sound around what was going on yeah i, I thought it was awesome um you know, I mean, I guess all in all, since we we can talk about this probably for another half an hour, but um, you know, Black Panther is awesome. I think it's great. I, I I'm really interested to see what his future is in the MCU. I can very much uh, yeah, I can see him leading the Avengers in the future. I think that yeah. would be really really cool. I think he'd be really good at it too. So um, it'll be interesting to see. And of course, you know, we'll see him in just a few months now with Infinity War. Yeah, I think they definitely have big plans. For him, I think in the movie universe, um, just based on the fact that this that they very clearly put like care and effort into this movie, and and then it also did very well, so it's not going to go anywhere, you know. Right. I could see him and like uh and like uh Starman being like leaders in the in the kind of cosmic and the Earth side, you know. Like it's like mm-hmm. just because not even just because of who they are, but also because it's like their movies did really well and people like them <laughs> as characters. So they're yeah, gonna yeah. Marvel's not dumb, you know, they're going to keep them around. But um, yeah, I, I thought the movie was really great. I, I think it's absolutely worth seeing. I'm actually probably going to try and see it again. I think at some point, just cause I, we sat like two rows. I mean, we were at Alamo and the second row isn't bad, but it was, I want to sit a little further back and watch again. Um, cause it was interesting when we talked about the CG, my, I thought originally I just sat too close and that's why the CG didn't look great. And then you said it, and I was like, "Oh, okay." I was it was it wasn't my eyes. It was just the CG wasn't awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought everything else was great, man. Writing, music, acting. I thought, yeah, yeah. I just really enjoyed it. It's, it's. I don't know if it beats, you know, Winter Soldier. I still think Winter Soldier is a, a really great movie. Still love the first Guardians. Yeah, um, those are it's, pretty much top of my list too. It's way up there. It's way way up there. Does I mean, it, it beat it's Iron for- Man too? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> or Thor one or two. Uh, I mean, like honestly, Thor Ragnarok did. A, they did a great job with that one too. I am unique director again. I just feel like they the more often they trust their directors' voices, which you know maybe maybe we would have gotten a crazy Ant Man had Edgar Wright finished his. But uh, I still liked Ant Man, so I, I did know, too. Complaints. I did too. Well, good stuff. Let's uh, let's jump on over to Everything Sucks, which is yeah. now available on Netflix. Have you had a chance to watch this yet? I have not. No, not yet. Okay. Well, I, I won't spoil anything then. I'll just say that uh, it's available now. There's 10 episodes. Each one's about a half an hour. So I think I finished this in like, I don't know, two or three nights. It was really fast. <laughs> I just blew through it. Um, uh, Everything Sucks is a, about a bunch of freshmen that uh, are AV geeks in a small town in Oregon called uh, Boring, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Boring, Oregon is exactly how you'd imagine. It's pretty much like small town, middle of nowhere. Um, it, it takes place, I want to say, in 96, 95, 96, but it feels, right. feels earlier because it's in Oregon. So it feels like 89. <laughs> so like all the stuff they're kind of like talking about are into uh, they're a little bit dated because they're out in the middle of nowhere. So it's like, you know, you could very much see this as a, a late eighties, early nineties set show. Um, so what's the show really about? It's kind of a coming of age story between these AV geeks. And then they end up encountering these kids in the drama department. And the short version is, is they end up teaming forces to create, instead of doing a school play, they do a school movie. So the AV Hmm. kids and the drama kids kind of team up and it's about the lives of all these kids and the drama kids and, and sort of the things that they're going through. Um, What I ended up really loving about everything sucks is I think it handles a lot of like the, the pain of adolescence very, very, very well. Um, You know, it kind of handles, it handles sexuality, it handles first loves um, like, and I think it's so well acted that, if you have experienced any of these things in high school at this age, you'll probably identify with what, like how these kids are feeling and what they're going through very, very quickly. Um, it's just, uh, I'm making it sound like it's not, it's not funny, but it is, it's, it's a comedy. It's sort of a very, uh, tonally everyone has made this comparison, but it's like if freaks and geeks had like a little brother, it would be everything sucks. 
Yeah. Um, and if you're a fan of Freaks and Geeks, then um, you'll probably like this as well. I'll say that the music um, is all music taken from the, the early to mid nineties. So if you're fans of, you know, all of that stuff, um, you know, like Nirvana, so on and so forth, then you'll, you'll definitely love everything sucks, uh, just for the music alone. Uh, the first two episodes are, I would, of the whole series, the first two are probably the hardest to get through just cause it's all about character building. And I feel like, um, the the storylines in the first couple episodes are really just to kind of get you to know the characters and then once you get to know them it becomes much more digestible because it's like a little less pandery and it just feels a lot better as a series once you get to episode three and four i'll say that episodes nine and ten the end of the series are fantastic um I, I challenge people not to feel emotions while watching episodes nine and ten <laughs> uh some people might even might even cry a little bit uh, it not only deals with the kids, but it also deals with their parents and kind of what parents are going through with kids of this age. And um, some of them have experienced like really tragic loss and are trying to kind of rekindle love in their life after a really long time. So there's there's a lot going on here. And it's all, um, like I said, really digestible, really fun. Um, I think it's one of those series that you, once you start it and you get a couple episodes in, you'll probably be like me and you'll just gobble it up as quickly as possible just because you mm. kind of want to see what happens to these kids and what they do. So um, really, really good. Uh, it, uh, like I said, is available now on Netflix, 10 episodes, 29 minutes each or something like that. So it goes by, goes by fast. Cool. And yeah. He, it was one of the ones that I was, uh, Definitely looking into checking out, but hadn't looked at yet. Yeah, I, I won't do spoilers yet, but maybe once you and Scott watch this, we can kind of dig in a little bit more because it's something I kind of want to talk a little bit more about. Awesome. Uh, so a game that you and I played uh, at last year, was it last year's East? Yeah, last yeah. year's PAX East um, called Crossing Souls, which was from a small studio out of Spain called Four Attic and published by Devolver is one of our I think one of, I don't know about favorite, but they put out very unique, interesting games uh, in general. So I think whenever I see Devolver, I'm always kind of like, oh, I'll go check out what's there, see what's going on. This one, their booth drew us originally because they, they set up like a 1980s living room. Yes, I loved it. And then let us uh, let us play video games in it, which was very cool. Um, but so the game is out on Steam uh right now and i think on ps4 as well um i picked it up on steam it was on sale for opening week for 12.99 i think it's, it might be back up to 14.99 now but uh it is a 1980s nostalgia piece kind of goonies ish in nature um but with pixel artwork that i would put in the where would i put it like if you redid police quest maybe or or like the redos of um of uh uh what was the pirate the like the touch games that, that have just been redone a bunch of them just got redone oh like oh gosh from my like the old sierra style yeah the old sierra stuff so like somewhere in that kind of vein like 16 bitish bitish uh uh pixel art um but also mixes in this very like nostalgic 1980s hand-drawn cartoons um that look like every 1980s cartoon that came out in the time. Uh, but uh, really, really cool kind of sense of style, really good art direction on it. Um, and then the game follows uh, five kids that you're walking around with, and there's a mechanic where you can switch between them, and each one of them has their own little special power and kind of uh, story behind them that they're, that they're doing. And you're taking these five kids around on a Goonies-ish adventure until you come across this like powerful magical stone, and then there's government betrayal and a bunch of other stuff that kind of goes on uh at that point um i'm pretty early in the game i want to say it's probably if i had to guess it's probably about 10 hours long and i'm only a couple hours in um but uh it, they did a good job so yeah, far it was good i remember um, i played the first i played it forever at pax i want to say maybe the first like 40 minutes and yeah enough to pick up like the first because as you progress you get more of the kids like more of the goonies yep. gang yeah uh, all of which have like different abilities you know and yeah. i got like almost all of them in my play session so yeah it, it was really yeah. cool really well put together i really enjoyed it's, it 
Yeah, it's really smooth gameplay. It's really fun, especially for this being the first game out of a small studio. You usually, I don't think, see this level of like playability on it, and and it is very playable and very fun. And the set of nostalgia kind of around it is is done well enough that you know Stranger Things ish, if you want to put it in that kind of vibe, also uh, not just Goonies. But um, Scott won't thing, know what that means. The only <laughs> watch the show. <laughs> uh, so the only thing uh, that I would say as a negative. And I remember saying this at PAX, and it doesn't seem to have been cleaned up too much, and I don't know if it's uh, a a language barrier or not, but the, the dialogue is a little clunky. Like, it, it doesn't read super smooth or, like, gelling with each other, and, and there's not a lot of personality in each of the characters, so okay. it's kind of hard to know who's talking sometimes because it just kind of... It, it's just you're either the kids or you're somebody else, and the kids kind of all all of their dialogue kind of mashes into one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not so bad that you should like avoid the game. It's just, it's just a little clunky and it's a little like it could be, you know, for being a nostalgia piece, like that sense of humor or that kind of like sense of five kids together needed to be, I think a little bit stronger and it would have been like a knock out of the park. Like it would have been, that would have put it into, you know, great game, this greatest game this year kind of territory versus versus uh, what I think is otherwise a really fun game, absolutely worth $15 and a really cool sense of style and like a neat little, little playthrough. So I'll probably come back and talk about it again. Once I finish it, maybe the dialogue gets stronger. I have a feeling it probably is. This is just the way it goes all the way through, but, um, but it's, but it's good. Absolutely worth it. I'm really glad it came out and, uh, and congratulations to these guys. Cause it's, I think been like three or four years worth of work to get this game out for them. So yeah, pretty ambitious. Looks it awesome. is an ambitious thing. So crossing souls out now on steam and on PS four. Sweet. Um, this is just sort of a quick plug slash gush session, but, uh, for those who have been listening to the show for a while, uh, Big Giant Circles is the gentleman who did our soundtrack, um, also known as Jimmy Hinson. And Jimmy did music for games like Borderlands 2 and Mass Effect. Um, and threes. he. And, and, oh, yeah, and Threes. And also uh, Stranger Things 2, Season 2, yeah. which is just like mind blowingly crazy. So uh, we are still kind of humbled that he did our music, but he just put out the soundtrack for this game, Octageddon, that just came out which is uh, developed by a studio called All Yes Good, which are some of the guys that made the original Plants vs. Zombies. Oh, and, cool. Um, the soundtrack to Octageddon, if you are into video game soundtracks at all, is unbelievably fantastic. It's so adrenaline-filled. It's like a, like almost like a heavy metal synth boss fight type, type music, if you can kind of imagine what that sounds like. Uh, huh. So many layers, so well put together. It's, I think, very different from anything that that Jimmy uh, has done before. Uh, so it's definitely something you can get the soundtrack now on steam. And of course off his page, uh, which we'll link in the show notes, but I've been listening to it um, while I've been, you know, working and it's just so good. It gives you so much energy. I actually put it on in the background of other games because <laughs> it's better than a lot of the other game soundtracks. I'm like, I'll just listen to Octageddon while I play this other game <laughs> and it's good. Um, I was going to review Octageddon, but I, uh, I have not gotten a chance to, but it, Octageddon looks hilarious, sort of like yeah. a, an, uh, a, a strange hybrid of the old game rampage or something. So yeah, that's what um, I was just looking at. Yeah, so definitely if you are into video game music at all or just good music, check out Big Giant Circles and check out his soundtrack for Octagon and let us know what you think. I think it's it's totally fantastic and uh, we hope you guys like it. Hi, I'm writer and nerd Patrick Weeks, and you are listening to Rated NA at nerdappropriate.com. All right, our question of the week was just sort of catching up with you guys, and we wanted to know, what is the last thing that you binge-watched or binge-played? And our first answer is from Kristen Carnage, who is a much higher rank at me in Overwatch, by the way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She says, the good place, so good. And I would agree. I actually yeah. binge-watched um, Season 1, which I think is on Netflix now. Season 2 is not yet available, but man, what it's a good Hulu. show. What a good show. 
Yeah, Good Place is very, very good. And uh, yeah, we watched it on Hulu. I think season one and season two, and it's okay. uh, it is so so good. Uh, next up, we got Robert, Mr. Slick. Hey, Robert, how's it going? Uh, Paragon was the last game. I put so many hours into a single sitting. So sad it's gone. My best game was a sixteen to zero with a support class named Decker. She even had a Tron-like skin to keep with a sci-fi theme with her name. Yeah, man. We're coming to a sad age where like a lot of these games, like Paragon, um, you know, Paragon is now, is, I think it is shut down, but um, it was doing okay. But I think uh, Fortnite was just doing so well that Epic didn't, yeah. want to, uh, didn't want to support it anymore. So Paragon is gone. Never got a chance to play it. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Um, next one is from eChap33. Uh, he says Altered Carbon on Netflix and Marvel's Runaways on Hulu. Enjoyed them both. That is a great answer. Um, that is also my answer. Well, I, I watched Altered Carbon and then shortly after that to kind of cleanse my palate, I watched Everything Sucks. <laughs> because <laughs> Altered Carbon is a dark, dark, dark show. Uh, but freaking awesome. It God, is. I loved it. Was it was fun. I yeah. loved it so much. Especially the last like three or four episodes. Just like... Once she gets her robotic arm, spoiler alert, and just starts punching people, you're just like, this yeah. is, I could just watch this indefinitely. Runaways was great, too. Two good shows. Yeah, I love that, too. Uh, at Sinbad27 says, Traveler Series and Altern Carbon, uh, almost done with a second run. I haven't watched Traveler yet. That's that's the one on Netflix, right? I do not know. I don't know what that is, so I'll have to, I'll have to look it up. It's actually kind of selfishly why I asked this question because I'm looking for something new to binge watch, and I was hoping uh, to, get, to get something new. Oh, Travelers! It's a yeah Netflix show. Yeah. Um, this one I think I did wrong. So the next one is from Carlo uh, Platinum Fist. Hey, Carlo. He says so many hours put into Horizon Zero Dawn. Well worth it, but I think I need a break before diving into Uncharted: The Lost Legacy or Shadow of War. Yeah, uh, man. We talk about that all yeah. the time. Taking the the break off from the the wide open world games once you beat yeah. one. So yeah, I never beat um, horizon. I need to, I need to get in there and beat that game. I don't got a PS4. Mwah, mwah. Um, chat of war though. Oof. It's good, but man, it's so such a giant world. You just have to like put your controller down at some point. Um, uh, I'll say mine. I have been watching the magicians. Oh, nice. Uh, that was actually on my list. I have been on my iPad. Yeah, binge through the first two seasons. Uh, really enjoyed it a lot more. Not that I, not a lot more than I thought I would. Just like unexpectedly, so I guess is the way to put it. I wasn't expecting to dislike it or like it. I just kind of like Melissa had watched the first se- or two seasons, and I was like, oh yeah, whatever. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just wasn't a had a had a hankering for some kind of like fantasy type setting, and it is such a fun, weird show but great like it's it's dark at times but the characters the characters are all awesome uh some of them are like penny and elliot these two guys are fantastic uh they do a lot of really screwed up shit to their characters in the show and and to the point where there's like like i don't i don't want to ruin anything They, they do screwed up stuff and it's it's very dark but it also has a really great sense of humor and it's written super well and it's super fun so magicians has been really great sweet i'm glad you like it and the last one is Alex at Dusty Tulip says show the Good Wife. Oh yeah, I've never watched it. And the Good Fight's on the the uh, online, I believe. But yeah, the Good Wife now moving on to the Good Fight, which is a spinoff. Uh, great political show, very well played and written. Also very current. Yeah, that's another thing I've heard. Yeah, I, I have not seen this either. But um, I've heard it was Good Wife. I have a bunch of friends who all really really loved the Good Wife, and uh, and I never never got into it. We're in a, an awesome age where there's a lot of stuff to watch yeah. coming out all the time. Correct. Uh, cool. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to episode 299 of the Rated NA podcast. Uh, as always, Pasta. yeah. Do you say what did you say? Pasta? I said impossible. Impo- I thought you said pasta. I got excited. Pastables. Pastables. Oh, can we market those? <laughs> anyway. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, and that's at NerdAppropriate, or you can go to our Facebook page, which is slash NerdAppropriate. If you have a question for us, you can email us directly, and that's at ner- uh, nerds at NerdAppropriate.com. Right? Is that how it is? Yeah, nerds at NerdAppropriate.com. Nerds at NerdAppropriate, yeah. Yeah, that's nerds it. at NerdAppropriate.com. And um, we have a special guest for episode 300, 
Uh, Matt and I talked to Amy Acker again. Heck uh, yeah. Back for round three. So we, we recorded it already. It went really well. Super fun conversation. So we hope you guys tune in for episode 300. And then uh, I think for 301, we're going to do our our old fashioned let's tell the secrets of the podcast episode. So there's a lot of fun stuff coming up. Thank you guys for your patience with these. And we will be back next week. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a lot to talk about here. What are you eating? I grabbed a granola bar. <laughs> you want to finish that first? <laughs> I, just, I just took one. I just took one bite. <laughs> this is for Scott. I know he likes um, mouth sound effects. Uh, All right. Okay. Now I'm good to go. Okay. <laughs>